0: We're talking, we're in our vision series, and we're in the last week today. There's four weeks, and, and I, um, I know that sometimes people go, wow, that's your vision statement? It's kind of long, right? You, have, you guys know our vision statement. It's giving people the best life possible by connecting them to God and his family and equipping them to be involved in what he's doing in the world. And the reason it's long is I like specifics. I like, uh, someone told me, I'm glad that our church has like those four values. I know that, that what we're all about, it's, it's easy, but we're, we know what we're about and who we are. It's too easy to just say, our church is here just to love God and love people. And that's cool. That's what every church should have. But God's given us specifics, things that he's called us to. Connecting people to God has got to be first and foremost in everything that we do. That we never would put the church priority above the God priority in people's life. That's great that we're a body of believers, but that's secondary to the fact that people need to know God. Secondly, you connect to his family, right? And we do that well. Look at all the people on stage here that were connected to each other because they got into each other's lives, connect groups and all of that. We talked last week about equipped to serve, that you need to keep learning and growing and figuring out who you are and the gifts that God's given you, not just for you, but that we're called to go and serve and bless this world, that people would be attracted to us because of Jesus in us, just by looking at how we act rather than even the words that we say. So it's, it's having faith, but putting the faith into action. So today, there's the last one that's a big important thing for us at Hope Chapel Kaneohe Bay, and that is that we are to be empowered to win the world, is that God has given us the great commission, and Jesus said my famous last words, before I go back to the Father, here's what I expect you guys to be doing while I'm gone, until I come back for you, you need to be going out there, and bringing more people into the family of God, making disciples everywhere you go, so I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about what it is to, to make disciples, and how we say win the world to Christ, win the whole wide world to Christ, and there's a term that God uses in the Bible in many places to refer to those that don't know Jesus Christ and the term he uses is lost, right? And it's not it's not a condescending, it's not a looking down type of word. It's not a judgmental word. It's literally just the state of uh, you're confused, you don't know where you're going, you don't know what's going on, and you're lost. Anybody in this room ever been lost anywhere physically? Like, I'm not talking spiritual stuff, but just lost the feeling? You guys have been lost before, right? I get lost all the time. Like, I'm I'm not even scared to admit it. Like, as much as I want to be the man and think that I always know where I'm going... I rely on my GPS, iPhone, all the time. I get lost all the time. It's terrible. Bad sense of direction. I was lost just in Mapunapuna yesterday, uh, the other Friday. I had to buy a battery for my truck. You guys ever seen that commercial? Battery bills. Battery bills. I was looking for battery bills, and bills couldn't be found by me. I was like, Bill! Bill! I was bummed, and I had the GPS, and I was like telling me to take U-turns and everything, and the feeling of being lost, of how irritating that is, and just how embarrassing. And when you're lost, and you're driving around you feel like everybody knows you're lost. You're looking and they're judging me. They're judging me. I'm lost. I'm lost. It's just a terrible feeling. I I once got lost in Japan. We were out with all the kids, free time shopping or something like that. I went in a store and I was looking around and I came out and everyone else was gone. I got lost and I'm the leader of the trip. All the other guys are all, they're good with their leaders and they're doing their stuff. And I'm like, oh no, I'm lost. I don't speak Japanese. This is crazy. What if I don't come back? Kids are going to be laughing at me. No one's going to trust me. Like, it was just like a terrible feeling. But have you ever been lost to the point of really like desperation, like real panic? Anybody ever felt like that? Remember you're a little kid and you hide in the clothing racks and mom goes and then you come out, ah, surprise, they're gone. Ah, security, we have a lost kid. And you're just panicked, right? Remember 127 Days, that movie, James Franco? He gets his arm caught in the boulder, you know? And he has to end up just like, oh, I got to, I'm lost. I'm not going to get found. I'm going to die. I got to cut my own arm off. Right? And he's like, oh, and he hikes out. I'm found. Yeah. Right? He's like, I know my arm's still out there, but I'm found. You know, like, yeah, the feeling. But think of the feeling of how terrible it is to be lost, and then when you're like, oh my gosh, good, I'm found. I found the place, I found the people, or whatever. I want you to think about this. This is what we're talking about today. God uses this term, lost, to describe us when we don't have Jesus. That really, our lives, if we can think about it, some of us have have only been saved a little while, or it's been a long time, but you know the potential for you on your own to try to navigate life and all of its ups and downs, and your finances, and your relationships, and, and just making right choices for your career, and all of that. It's pretty scary sometimes. It's pretty confusing, and you feel like if you don't have Jesus, you're like, I don't know where to turn to right now. I'm going to do my best and do what I can. Fingers crossed, but I'm confused. There's things that I'm angry at. I'm, I'm panicked. I don't know what to do. And God uses this term loss to just say that you're out there on your own. And really, the term in the Greek actually means that you're headed for destruction, that there's actually no hope. And basically, without Jesus Christ, we're... We have no hope of a relationship with God for eternity. The Bible says because of our sin, we're now destined for hell. I don't want to hear that. That's what the Bible says. That's why he says we're lost. And all of us in this room at some point or another have been lost, and maybe we're still lost. It's not a negative term. It's just the fact that God wants you to be found in him and he wants to find you and he wants to fix your life and the feeling when you get found you know when you're that little kid in the department store mommy you know you just come running you're like oh man security see that's what we have i don't know what it would be like i still think back and some of the things i've gone through in life and go man and what if i didn't have god what a terrible place that would have been if i didn't have prayer and hope to hold on to and god says that his heart in scripture is that none would perish, that none would be lost eternally, right? And we know that the the reality is there's a lot of people that will be, but his heart is that none would be. And you go, how come God doesn't make sure that everybody's found then? Well, then it wouldn't be true love if God didn't give us a choice. If we didn't have free will and he just forced us all to be with him, then there wouldn't be real love that we would have because we had to obey. There would be no chance for us to choose. So God goes, it breaks my heart but I'm presenting you with the opportunity, the choice. If you really love me, my love is good for you. It's reaching out. But if you really love me, then you'll, you'll choose me. But it's our job as Christians to allow people to understand that decision and to know the choice to pick Jesus. So that's what I'm talking about today is that, that God loves the lost. Jesus came for the lost. Do we forget that? That he came for the brody, the broken, the hurting, the messed up, the marginalized, the people on the edge of of society, the people outside of religion. Remember, Jesus did most of his ministry not in the temple, but hanging out in the streets with the people that were lost, right? And so what he calls us to do as Christians, as his people, is to have a love for the lost. And I wonder how many of us still love those that don't know Jesus yet. And I mean real love, because it's easy to be in our little Christian clubs and to to be all fired up on the Lord and what he's doing in our lives, and we forget there's a bunch of people that are out there that, that don't know him yet. And they're They're wandering around, and I was reading this book, and I love this book. I don't know if you've ever read this book. You get a chance to read it. It's a great book. It's called It, and it's not by Stephen King. It's a different one. A creepy clown. Uh, No, this is It, and it's how churches and leaders can get it and keep it. What is the it factor that some people have, that some churches have, where they're just thriving, and they're growing, and God is blessing, and there's just an it factor? And Craig Rochelle wrote this book, and in this one chapter, he talks about the lost and how We better be all about the lost because that was Jesus' instructions for us is to go and get the lost. He came to seek and save those who are lost. But he says this on this page 130 in this It book. He says, love makes you do crazy things. Who do you love? Do you love people who don't know Christ? He says, honestly, many so-called Christians don't. You don't have to look far to find churches full of people who are insulating themselves from the world, hunkering down, avoiding PG-13 movies and secular music. These inward-looking religious types keep their distance from anyone who drinks beer, cusses after a bad golf swing, smokes anything, has a tattoo, or wears designer jeans with holes in them. They avoid homosexuals. They criticize rock stars. They stare disapprovingly at purple hair and mohawks, and they're afraid of MTV." It says, too many believers are avoiding that kind of person. And they've forgotten that Jesus came for that kind of person. Isn't that good? It's a good reminder here today. And there's there's a quote on this next page that says, when have we forgotten that the church doesn't exist for us? We are the church, and we exist for the world. That a value at Hope Chapel is that we constantly have love for those that don't yet know Jesus and that we're actually living our lives to do something about it. Let me tell you guys that this is actually the main mission of Christians. That in Matthew 28, verse 18, there's a, there's a little a few verses in there called the Great Commission. Now, here's what I want you to think about in Scripture as a whole, Christianity, our faith as a whole. Someone once asked Jesus, what's the most important thing that we need to do? What's the greatest commandment? And if you remember, Jesus said, Well, you need to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, like love God, number one. But then he said, and equally important, not less important, equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. So God said, all the law, the prophets, everything, Old Testament, New Testament, everything comes down to this is you got to love God and love other people. And it keeps it simple for us, right? Sometimes we complicate religion and all of that. It's just simple relationship with God, relationship with others. That's why we call it connect to God, connect to other people. But then when Jesus left, he did what he did at the cross, the grave, and he went back to heaven. He goes, "I'm leaving. I'm coming back someday." But while you guys are down here on earth and you represent me, here's the one thing I expect you guys to do. Look what Matthew 18 says. He came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, here's the the instructions, go and make disciples of all the nations. The word disciple means a follower or a learner. He's talking about of himself. Go and make disciples of Jesus, of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus gave us specific instructions that one of the things we need to be thinking about in our daily lives when we're saying, God, how am I living for you? How am I interacting with you? The number one thing we should be thinking is, am I bringing in the loss? Am I reaching out to other people that don't know you? Because that's the main thing Jesus told us to do. We get scared of it. We get lazy to do it. But God says, we need to be doing it. We're, we're worried and afraid sometimes. I don't want to share my faith because people are not, not receptive and they don't want to hear my religion. They don't want to come. Well, here's a statistic that I read recently by this guy, Tom Rayner that does all these studies of thousands of people, Christians, non-Christians, trying to build health in the church. And he did a survey and he said, out of his findings, nine out of ten unchurched people say that they would come to church if they were invited. Here's realize that we have this job to do, that this mission that God has called us to do. And it's not as hard as we think it is. Nine out of 10 people said, I'd go to church, but no one invited me. And all we have to do is invite people. 78% of U.S. adults believe that the presence of a church is very or somewhat positive for their community. 78% of U.S. adults are open to the idea of going to church or having a church in their community. That they're, They think it's a, a good or somewhat good idea. Here's the deal someone's hurt out there is waiting for your help in bringing them to Jesus. If we think about it like this, we have friends that are out there that their marriages are on the line, whether they're going to survive or fail. And people are facing financial difficulties. People are on the brink of depression and suicide and all kinds of stuff. Or some people are just lost and they're like, well, my life's pretty good, but I just don't really have much purpose in it. Somebody's hurt is out there waiting on you and me to introduce them to Jesus Christ. That's all it takes. That The defining moment of their life, the deciding factor, the turning point of their whole situation could simply be that you walk up and you invite someone to church or you share about Jesus Christ. Do you realize that there's actual individual lives on the line? Don't just think the world, the people, but think who your neighbors are. Think who your friends are. Think of the, the, the tragedies and the trials that you go through and you're so thankful for Jesus that your neighbors are out there going through them without Jesus. And people are waiting for us. So we have this mission to do to touch the world. But here's the second verse that I want to talk to you guys about today, is that God has given us help to accomplish the mission. Because how many of you think, like I do, like, go touch the whole wide world? I can't do that. I'm just one guy. I don't have that much influence. What could I possibly do? And God says this, you've got help. Look at Acts 1, verses 4 through 8. Before Jesus had gone back to heaven, he was sitting around with his his disciples, his followers. It says, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. See, all the Christians at that time were gathered around. Headquarters was the town of Jerusalem. They're all hanging out. They follow Jesus. They're learning about him. They're like, man, this is good. This is good. Then he's telling us to go into the world and do all this. But he goes, wait, before you go anywhere, don't leave here until the Father gives you this gift that he's promised. He says, as I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, here's what you got to catch here. We just talked about the mission. God says, go bring other people into the family. But now here's the thing that equips and empowers us to carry out the mission. He goes, don't do anything until you receive the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit can empower you. Then you'll be able to be my witnesses into the whole wide world, starting where you're at, expanding, and you'll be able to touch the whole wide world. Now, this takes a lot of pressure off of me and you. Because when we think, man, that pastor today, he's telling me I need to go tell Jesus to my friend. That's scary. That's hard. I'm awkward. I don't know how to bring it up in a conversation. I don't know if I'm smart enough. I don't know if I have enough verses memorized. I don't know if I can do it. Here's something that's refreshing for us is that God says, I don't expect you to do it alone. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. If you fill up on the Holy Spirit who lives in every Christian, he's going to help you. You're going to have the boldness that you don't normally have. You're going to have the ability to pray, and miracles are going to happen, not because of you, but because the Holy Spirit that's in you, that's empowering you. Does that make sense, guys? We actually have a helper. The the Bible calls him the helper, the comforter, Now he knows that we need help. Here's the way that I look at it. This is what kind of made it click in my mind the other day. God just made it real clear. I. Went to a pastor's meeting in Alamoana, and I was parked in Alamoana Shopping Center, and I was in the building next door, and I came back out to my car, and I went to start my car, and he gave me one of these. The clicking. Anybody ever had the clicking? The like, oh, no, what is going on, right? <laughs> Dead battery. That's, like, such a bad, terrible feeling. Like, no one around. I'm parked, and I'm just going, oh, man, God, not right now. I have stuff to do. I have places to go. I don't have time to get a battery, right? This was leading up to my search for battery bills, right? This is before. And so I'm dying there, and I'm just like, ah, oh, I'm in the shopping center. i got to find someone. I know I have cables in the back. I have jumper cables in my back seat. So I have those. So that's good. But i got to find someone that's willing to help me out here. So... I was parked in tight so no one could get to my car. So I had to, like, kind of put it in neutral and just, like, push uh, and get it out into the the main aisle of the parking. So now I was ready. Cables were out. Hood was up. You know, I definitely looked like I needed help. And I was just looking for someone who's going to be cool enough to help me out here. So I walk, and I'm looking, and I'm like, I just need anybody. I just need the juice from your car to get mine going. And I see this lady get in her car, right? I was like, oh. There she is. Good. There's my savior right there. So I walk over to her. And I know it's, like, crazy if, like, you just get in your car, you close the door, and you're about to start it. And how crazy that can be if someone knocks at your window and scares you, right? You ever had that happen? You're like, oh, Right? And so, literally, I tried to be as cool as I could to, like, not make that happen. But I didn't have much room. I kind of had to just kind of go up and, like, hey! You know, and the ladies are... Uh, you know, for sure. I'm like, I knew that was gonna happen. And she rolls the window down. Like, I go, Hey, can you help me? And she rolls the window down like an inch. Like, yeah, yes, what do you need? And I was like, uh, I need. <laughs> can you help me jump my car? And she's like, uh, uh, You know, anything. Cause she's like, she doesn't know who I am, right? And I'm like, I-, I look pretty clean, and cl- I'm like, What? You know, I'm not a threat to you. But she was threatened, right? She's like, Uh. I don't have jumper cables, and I go, I do, you know, <laughs> I do, and she's like, ah, oh, uh, okay, 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 right, she kind of like was playing it in her head, and she's like, okay, I think I can trust this guy, I hope he doesn't jump me and kill me, or whatever, In broad daylight, I'm on a shopping center, so she pulls her car around, she pulls up in front of mine, and I'm like, yes, I jump. so I put the, the cables on my dead battery, dying battery, just put it on her live active battery, and literally just as soon as I went in and turned it, the thing started up, and it was all good, and I was going to try to thank her, but she was like, oh, she's out of there. She just <laughs> ran away or whatever, but here's a point. As I was, I was thinking about that situation, I was thinking about this, this sermon this morning that we're supposed to go after people, and God told me this, your job, Carl, and Christians is to go around and to spark new life into people's lives and to get their batteries going and to change their life, and all I've called you to do is to be the jumper cables. All you are is jumper cables. You're the willing vessel, but it's only until you hook up to the power source of the Holy Spirit, like that active live battery, that you have any juice flowing through you to bring spark into someone else's life. Is that good? So I want you to think about this today as you leave church. If you forget everything else I said, which probably will happen, you can walk out of here today and go, I'm jumper cables. I'm jumper cables. I'm jumper cables. You guys get what I'm saying is we have the ability to spark life and to change lives and to hook them up. The lost become found, but not necessarily because of anything that we do, but it's the source of help that he's given us, the Holy Spirit, that flows through us. That... I'm awkward. I don't know how to talk about Jesus. I don't know how to just bring it up. I'm a pastor. You give me notes and time to prepare, I'll tell you guys whatever. I'll, I'll preach here for hours. But on the regular, like, it's scary to me. I'm not a super extroverted person in the regular world, right? That's my wife's job. I just follow behind and smile and nod, right? But I know that if I pray and I say, God, I need help because I can't do this on my own. You know, He does. He empowers me. I get bold to go talk to people that I don't normally talk to. I had this great conversation with my mail lady yesterday. You know, she's delivering the mail, and that's usually not me. I just go do my thing. How you doing? Bye. You know, and just go. And God goes, go talk to this lady. So I just had this, turned into this, like, 15-minute conversation with my, my mail carrier. And I was like, that's not even normally me. My wife's like, that's usually me. You don't usually talk to people. I go, I know. But I had it because I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to get out of yourself and take on the power that's available. You're just the jumper cables. But if you call on me and you hook up to the source, I'm going to give you you boldness. I'm going to give you words to say. You ever had that where you go to talk to someone, and you're like, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. And God just gives you the words to say, and it just comes, and suddenly you're just connecting with that person. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it is so important to take on the power of the Holy Spirit. So you've got to ask for Him daily. Ask for the gifts to show up in your life. He might give you words of knowledge or prophecy for people. He might make it so miracles can happen. When you say, Holy Spirit, help me, I'm going to pray for this person. I hope it happens. I'm counting in your power. I'm just the jumper cables. God shows up and something happens in that person's life. And there you have an opportunity to lead them to Jesus Christ. This is, this is good stuff, but we have to pray and ask for these opportunities. Lately, I've been trying to keep the opportunities open. I got to, to share with my barber the other day. I went to a new barber, right? She does a really good job. She's like super fast, like, rrr, rrr, you know, and I'm like, wow, you're good. But she started, I went real early in the morning before everyone came in. She goes, you see the light on? You come inside. You see the light? You come inside. Go, okay, okay. So she does my hair and she's she's talking to me. Which usually there's too many people around. It's awkward to like talk, you know, deep stuff. But she's sharing like stuff about her life and how she's blessed other people and people have blessed her. And I start talking about what a life of blessings all about. I told her I was just reading something in my Bible about that, and I was like, oh, there's my opportunity, God. I'm going to make the most of this. I pray for this kind of stuff to happen. This is good. And then she's like, okay, all done. I was like, oh, shucks. I was just getting ready to like kind of. Get, you know, talk about Jesus a little bit because I was feeling bold. The Holy Spirit was giving me boldness. And he so, okay, i come back next time. I'm like, oh man. And I felt like God going, that's someone that put in your life. You need to start working on this person. That you kind of got a little opportunity there I've given you. Do you recognize it? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to respond? So then I'm thinking, how often can I get my hair cut so I'm in here to talk to her before I just go bald. I mean, can I come back? If I go back every week and keep cutting hair, at some point I'm just going to be bald, but maybe that's what you want. God, I'm supposed to be bald for this person? I don't know, but all I was thinking was the opportunities don't come easy to me because I live in a Christian world. As a pastor, I go to work every day and they're all saved already, right? I'm not like, Pastor Tom, do you need to receive Jesus Christ? And No, come on, man. Like, I live in this world, my family's Christian. I, I go to work and I come home, it's like, i got to find these opportunities, the mail lady, the barber, the like people at the hardware store, people surfing in the water. i got to look for these opportunities because God expects me to and he's empowered me to. Here's what I want you to think. If the call today that I'm making on you that I believe God is making all of us is that we're supposed to tell people about him, I think there's a good way to start by starting simple, by starting small, by starting with one person. We actually gave you guys this little card. Where's that little card? Try to look at the card that you probably just sat on or threw on the ground or whatever like you normally do. Um, But this card right here, I want you to take it seriously. This is a commitment card that will help you start with one person. Because if a majority of your life, your Christian life, is to be looking outward and bringing other people in, that can be intimidating. But if you say, God, just give me one person one person that I could focus my prayers on, one person that I could pray for opportunities to talk to, one person that is already in my immediate world that I care about, that I want to know Jesus. Lord, can you help me? And all we've asked you to do is write down the name of this person. I don't see these cards. We're not asking for these back. This is something for you because this is something I need to do in my life. Sometimes I learn something, but if there's no physical action to accompany it, I have no accountability. We're asking you to just pray on who this person might be in your life that you could start praying for and go, I'm just going to pick off one person. Uh, Do you know the power of of one person? I call it sniper evangelism. When you're focused on one person to to bring the gospel to. Anybody see the movie um, American Sniper? The one that just came out, Bradley Cooper. Oh, that's a good movie. Navy SEAL, it's based on the life of that guy, Chris Kyle. It was a Navy SEAL. He was the most decorated American sniper. Had like over 160 confirmed kills. He took a shot at someone that was like, Uh, like over a mile away, he killed someone like sniper, like just crazy. But I watched a movie and it's just a lot of people in the military tell me this is kind of a good um, uh, example of what the military life is about. So I watch that because I'm learning because we got a lot of military in this church. Who's military in this church? That's good. Praise God. I want to learn... About the stuff that you go through when you're deployed into heavy areas like that. So I'm learning and I'm watching. And there's like a lot of blood and guts and stuff like that. But it's real. It's real life. So I'm watching that. And I'm learning something. And one of the things I learned is that the sniper's role is such a, a focused role. That there could be all of this movement all around, right? In the city or in the buildings or whatever. And he has to zoom in on one at a time. And he has to put all of his sight and his effort slowing his heartbeat down, all of that, just focusing on the stuff, getting everything ready. And there could be all these people moving, but he has to pick one. And the payoff is that when you focus and not get distracted, you can hit your target. And what I learned from that is, I think it applies to us in sharing our faith, is if we're just thinking, oh, we got to go save somebody, anybody, everybody, we actually end up saving nobody because we're so distracted. But when you can focus and pray for that one. Imagine if one person in your life right now is getting your daily prayers all the time. Every time you think of them, you look at this card, whatever, you're just going, I'm praying for that person, God. I'm praying you'd bless their life. I'm praying for opportunities. God, I'm going to do whatever I can. They're getting all my attention. I work all day. I do this. but When I have free time, I'm going to do something nice for that one person. Don't you think sooner or later that God is going to work through you and that person is going to come to know Jesus just because you're so dedicated to them? If we could begin to practice that, this is incredible. I think about it. If everyone in this church by the end of this year could go, I'm going to pray every day, I'm going to look for opportunities, this one every single day, sniper, man, we got those people saved and into a relationship with Jesus, they were lost and now they're found. At the end of this year, we could double the size of this church and not, that's not the end result the doubling the size of the church. I'm not talking about big church. Who cares about the size of your church? I'm talking about doubling the amount of souls that are in the kingdom that are living for Jesus Christ now that we have the ability to equip and empower, send them out to go after all of their friends and the world around them. We begin to be a force to be reckoned with. Are you guys hearing me? If we do the sniper thing one at a time, so I'm just challenging you guys. Do this. Just make this a big deal. Pray on this name so that it's the right one. But put it somewhere you have to see it every day. Put it on the mirror when you brush your teeth in the morning. Put it in your car as you're driving around. I would say put it in your Bibles, but some of you don't read your Bibles every day. So let's be honest. You should be. But I'm saying put this somewhere that every day you're going to commit to those people. Man, we can do really big work. Is that good? Okay, so here's the deal. I always ask myself this question when I'm trying to talk to other people that don't know Jesus. What are they thinking about me? I want to do this thing right. I want to not come off as the weird Christian or the overzealous guy. I want to, how do I answer the questions that they have? Does anybody else feel like that? The biggest thing you're worried about is, what do they think about me? Well, this guy did this study. This guy that does church growth studies and all this stuff. And this guy, Tom Rainer. And he came up with the seven common comments that non-Christians make about Christians. Now, this is what in in interviewing him and his teams have interviewed thousands of unchurched non-Christians. And these are the common comments that he came up with the most, the top seven. And then he gives a little quote from people that say these. So this this should be good for you guys and me. This is what do our non-Christian friends want from Christians? What do they think about us? This is interesting. Here's the first thing that he said that kept reoccurring time and time again. Number one is Christians are against more things than they are for. That the people out there that aren't Christians say, you know what? I don't want to be a Christian because you guys seem to be so negative and against so many different things. You don't seem to be for anything. He said that the, per- the person interviewed one guy that said, it just seems to me that Christians are mad at the world and mad at each other. They're so negative that they seem unhappy. I have no desire to be like them and stay upset all the time. So you know what we need to do when we're presenting the gospel to people? We're sharing our lives about Jesus is give hope, not negativity. Would you give hope and not negativity? There's too many Christians that are criticizing and complaining about one another and and the different church methods and all that, and the sin and the darkness in the world, when our goal is to be like Jesus and to give hope and to say, there's something better. I found something better. There's a hope for your lives. Are you guys getting what I'm saying is I don't like to watch the news a bunch. I catch up with, like, Time magazine and the stuff on the web once in a while, the, the main stuff I need to know. But if I get into watching the news every single day, the negativity and the hurt and all that, it wears me down. And I want to be in the word, which is feeding me life so that I can feed life and hope to other people. And here's what people are saying. Christians are against more things than they're for. There's a verse in 1 Peter 3.15 that says, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. That means you should always be talking about hope and not negativity. Here's a second thing that, that is common for um, the unchurched, our friends out there, our family, our relatives, our, our neighbors. Here's what they say. I would like to develop a friendship with a Christian. How many of you guys are like, yeah, right, no, they don't want to? That's what I've always thought, like, no, it's hard. People are going to criticize me if I try to push my faith on them. It says right here, he ran into all these people that said, I'd like to develop a a, a, relation, a friendship with a Christian. One guy interviewed said, I'm really interested in what they believe and how they carry out their beliefs but I wish I could find a Christian that would, be, that would be willing to spend some time with me. Here's what I think we ought to do when we're sharing our faith and going after the lost, It's just simple. Be friendly. Be friendly. Try to build real relationships with these people. Don't think, I just need to get somebody saved. But be thinking, I need to be real with this person. I want to make friends with them. I want this to be an ongoing relationship. It's not just another notch in the belt. One of the greatest ways that I've found to build uh, interest and care in someone is to pray with someone or pray for someone wherever you're at, when you hear that someone in your office or whatever is going through a difficult time, just offer a volunteer to pray for them right there. You know how that, that really touches people to feel like, man, someone cares enough to go to God, and you're going to do it right here and right now. They feel the care, but then the better thing is, when you pray for someone and God shows up and actually answers that prayer, that person is going to be that much more drawn to, to you and what you offered and the God that you're pro- proclaiming in life. So be friendly People are actually looking to develop a relationship with a Christian. Here's the third thing that they said, real common. I would like to learn the Bible. I would like to learn about the Bible from a Christian. We have it up there? Yeah. It says, the, this guy quoted, it said, the Bible really fascinates me, but I don't want to go to a stuffy and legalistic church to learn about it. It would be nice if a Christian invited me to study the Bible in his home or at a place like Starbucks. You know how good that is? Because what do we already have in play to do that? Connect groups. There's an answer for you. If you're trying to share the Lord with someone, maybe one of the steps you could take is simply invite them to a connect group. Talk about how Christianity and the Bible work in the real world. It's one thing to come and hear a sermon from me, and you hear the Bible, and you you hear my opinion or whatever from it. But when you go to your connect groups, you're going, okay, let's talk about that. How does that really work at the office? How does it really work when I'm dealing with my kids that are driving me crazy and they're, you know, how does the Bible really work? People are actually interested in learning about the Bible, but they don't want to hear stuffy legalistic religion. They want to hear what really works in my life. Why is the Bible so meaningful? Are you guys getting what I'm saying? How can you think about your friends out there? that are questioning that probably do want to learn about the Bible, but they want to learn why you think it's so cool, not necessarily from a church. Invite them to connect group. Here's a fourth thing. People say this, I don't see much difference in the way Christians live compared to others. Ouch. That's what we talked about last week, right? Faith in action. This person interviewed said, I really can't tell what a Christian believes because he doesn't seem much different than other people I know. The only exception would be Mormons. They really seem to take their beliefs seriously. Wow, what does that say about us, right? I don't see much difference in the way Christians live compared to others. You know what I put for that one? We gotta walk our talk. We gotta walk our talk. We gotta we gotta look like what Christianity professes to be. There's a there's a quote I read in this article recently, and it's a it's a sign that's on a lot of uh, major Christian schools and institutions and stuff like that. And it's a sign that hangs over the door, and it says this. Enter to learn, leave to serve. See, the expectation is it should be in front of our church, equipped to serve, right? It's that we come here to learn, to get equipped to what it's like to be a Christian. But then we leave, we drive off that driveway to go out there into the world and to serve the world. And that here's what people are saying, like, why would I be a Christian? Because you don't look like your life's any better than mine. Doesn't look any different we got to be the most generous people, the most servingest people, the most lovingest people, the ones that are out there going, this is the model, Jesus Christ. Here's what he told us to do. We're going to do it. Remember what I said, people see Jesus in you before they see Jesus in a church. They're going to see us out there living it. So walk your talk. Here's number five. Someone, someone, some, someone surveyed, all these people surveyed, said, I wish I could learn to be a better husband, wife, dad, mom, et cetera, from a Christian. One guy said, my wife is threatening to divorce me, and I think she means it this time. My neighbor's a Christian, and he seems to have it all together. I'm swallowing my pride, and I'm going to ask him to help me. Here's what I think about that one is, we're scared to do. We need to speak up with godly advice. We need to get bold enough because people are looking for answers, and they've tried a bunch of things, and you have something to offer that you're like, I don't want to push my faith on them. They're going, would you show me how to, how to be a better life, a husband or wife or, or father? I, I need that. And we need to speak up with that. I told you guys a story a couple years ago. I had a neighbor um, that's like the happy, loud neighbor in the neighborhood. You guys all have one of those? Like, he's kind of like, hey, how you doing? How's it going? How's it? And you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, good. Like, uh, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Anybody like that? You guys got that neighbor? Who's got the loud, super boisterous, extra-friendly, extroverted neighbor? Awesome. One person in the back. You guys got neighbor. The rest of you guys, I don't know where you live, but I'm sorry. You don't have friendly neighbors. But I have this one neighbor that's overly friendly. To the point, like, to be honest, I would kind of hide from him. I would kind of hide. You guys, now you're thinking, you know the neighbor you hide from, right? Maybe you're that neighbor right there. Everyone hides from you. But I had this neighbor. And super friendly all the time, but just like too much, you know, and super loud. And I'd walk out there and say, hey, Carl, how you doing? I'm like, dude, you're standing right in the next driveway. i I hear you, you know, but like friendly guy. But then it just got to the point where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can handle it too much. So I literally would hide when I would see him come outside or hear him. I know you guys are judging me. What kind of pastor is this? Not even friendly. But I literally would hide. Like I would just make sure the coast is clear before I take out the rubbish or like check the mail. Like, Good. I'm going, you know, make a run for it quick, right? One day he caught me. I was taking out the, the trash and I just like turn around like oh and he's like, Hey Carl, I'm like, Yeah, I'm right here. And he just starts talking. But then you know what he does? He starts getting real. He knew we we're Christians already. He knew I'm the pastor. We'd invite him to church before other family and everything. But he was hurting. He started sharing some stuff, started opening up some stuff. And I'm instantly feeling like the biggest idiot jerk in the world, like, oh my gosh, I'm not even loving this guy. Here's a guy that's a life that needs to be changed, that, that needs something, and I'm just feeling super terrible. And yet, here's my opportunity. The guy's going, I'm going through this, I'm going through that, health problems, relationship problems, uh, I'm not even living in the house anymore, I just come over to see the kids and all this, and I was like, whoa. And so I just gave him some godly advice, Right? I don't. I got nothing to risk here, you know. At this point, it sounds like he wants to hear anything. So I gave him some stuff. I just shared some stuff with him. I told him I'd pray for him. I invited him to church. I figured, man, Carl, this is your opportunity. This guy was hurting. The reason he's probably so loud and friendly is he just needed a friend. He needed some help. So I realized, oh, my gosh. So I invited him to church, the whole deal. Well, he ends up sh- coming to church one day. Comes to church with his kids, and we're like, wow, hey, good to see you. He kind of sits, I remember he sat right over here on this side the end of service, I prayed if anybody needs Jesus in their life to accept them. And he raised his hand, and he found Jesus that day in church. And I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. Praise God. He started to, to really, we started to develop a little bit more of a relationship. He's still bubbly and happy and everything, but now it's like he found Jesus, and stuff was changing in his life. And he was all excited because... Um, It was the month of November beard where we all grew out our beards, right? For November, the men, just the men, not the ladies. You don't have to participate. (laughs) The men grew out their beards and it was November beard and we were doing men's camp and I went off to men's camp and I got a voicemail on my phone and it's my friend, right? And he's just going, hey, Carl, I'm just thanks for letting me come to the church. And, you know, here's my life and everything. And I'm growing my beard out. I can't make it to camp, but I'm growing my beard. That's so funny. And he just, you know, he commented whatever, and he left a little voicemail. I was like, wow, that's, that's cool. I'm so stoked. The guy's like, he found Jesus. That's really what it's all about, right? And then um, it was like later that week after the weekend, like Monday or Tuesday, that I found out that they found my friend dead in his apartment, that he had died And I don't even know all the circumstances, but I was shocked, but I was so thankful because I know where he was. And I knew that it was a wake-up call to me to be a little bit more sensitive and have my eyes and ears open and to be a little bit more willing to give godly advice because the, the change it can make was the difference between heaven and hell for my friend over there, right? That he was asking for some stuff, and I gave him some stuff, How many of our friends are out there hurting and we're like, I don't want to push my faith on anybody. I don't want to do this thing. People are actually waiting to hear what it is that seems to make our lives work. Even when bad things happen, we're still going strong. People are looking at that. Do you guys hear me this morning? Is this a good convicting message? I hope it's like convicting for you. But this is what people are saying. I wish I could be a better husband, wife, dad, mom, whatever. And they're looking for godly advice. Here's the sixth thing that people say often about Christians. Some Christians try to act like they have no problems. Here's a guy that said, Harriet works in my department. She's one of those Christians who seem to have a mask on. I would respect her more if she didn't put on such an act. I know better. You know, one of the biggest things that people are looking for in Christians is that we would be real. They would just be real. We don't be fake. Don't make like life. Life is always like halos and butterfly wings and we're just perfect and we have God so everything is perfect. The reality is, life still sucks, but now we know that God is good. And God is in our life to carry us through all of that hard stuff, that we don't have to sugarcoat and put a mask all over it. We still get bombarded. The enemy still wants to take hits at us. Life is still super hard, but we have found something that makes life okay, and that's the fact that God is good in every situation. That He's our strength, He carries us through those times. Let me tell you this your testimony is better when you actually brag about how hard life is, but that that's when God showed up the most. Because to just say that God is good, all my finances are in order, my relationships are perfect, everything is peachy keen, ding ding, you know? That's like, yeah, really, you're living in a dream world. And God does... Bring us those times of provision and all that stuff. But how I in my own life know that God is really real isn't from all the blessing and the good times. It's when I needed him the most and he showed up the most. And he carried me through into the high moments, but he was there in my darkest moments. So here's what people are looking for. Would you just be real? Stop trying to sugarcoat and make like everything's perfect. Be real and tell me that there's a God that could love me in my mess. There's There's a God that says your life is still a mess, but I'm able to do something and create something beautiful out of that. So that's something I think is so important is that we would just learn to be real with people. Here's the last thing that he found as the, most, the seven most common comments that non-Christians make about Christians. They say, I wish a Christian would take me to his or her church. We all are conditioned to think no one's gonna wanna hear that and, our, and all of that stuff. But remember, nine out of 10 people would go if invited. That means there's nine people out there that would say yes to you if you asked ten people, if you would simply invite someone to church. Here's what this guy said. He quoted one guy. He said, I really would like to visit a church, but I'm not particularly comfortable going by myself. What is weird is that I'm 32 years old, and I've never had a Christian invite me to church in my entire life. How many people do we work with? Do we sit next to in school? Whatever. They're literally just waiting. I think church sounds kind of good. It looks like it's working in your life. I know it's a good thing, but I'm not going to go on my own. That's scary. That's weird. I don't know anybody there. That is scary. Put yourself in their shoes. All they're waiting is for an interaction. You know, the number one way that everybody... All of you came to church. It wasn't our road signs. It wasn't like we used to do radio and TV and all of that stuff. It wasn't the website is so awesome. The number one way that people come to church is through relationships. Someone else invited them. You might go look at the website after, but someone invited you, and you need to be that person to invite someone else. Is that a good word today, guys? Here's, here's what Jesus said, and I want to end with this scripture. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, he said, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So, pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. People are waiting for us to do the job that we've already been called to do. Who is your one, or who are the people around you that are simply waiting to be invited to all that God has for them and the the blessing that he's going to do in their lives? All you are, all I am, we're just jumper cables. We just show up. We put the word out there. The Holy Spirit will move through us, speak through us, and we're going to see this world change through Jesus Christ. Amen?